four words come to my mind. Bethlehem, brokenness, sentinel, and Pontecrater. <laughs> Bethlehem. Growing up, we were very familiar with the Christmas scene, familiar with the nativity scene. Jesus there in the trough, Mary and Joseph around him. There's usually an angel somewhere close by. Growing up, we've always thought, anyway, myself, I have, I've always thought that Bethlehem must be this really perfect place, this very mystical place, this just rather beautiful place. Last year I talked about the messiness of the stable. This year I want to talk about some, some other aspect of Bethlehem. I didn't realize this until I was there myself back in 2010. At the end of First Theology, where I was going to seminary at Sacred Heart Major Seminary in Detroit, Michigan, we will take a trip to the Holy Land, usually for four weeks and then a short time in Rome after that. So in 2010, during the month of May, I was able to go to Bethlehem. It was just a day trip. We traveled from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. It's a short distance, but it took us a long time to get there because of the wall between Israel and, and Palestine. Um, Palestine is, is there, or, or Bethlehem is in Palestine, and then Israel is there in Jerusalem. We came as a group, we came into the little town of Bethlehem. It's still a little town. Well, it's probably about the size of Kildare, come to think of it. We, we came on in, we came to the church. The, the church is, is rather big. When you come to the entry of the church, there used to be a really large door there. But now there's just a door maybe about this, this tall only. You have to stoop down to get into the church. What had happened was a number of people, as they would come and raid the city, would oftentimes bring their animals into the church. So the, the people there, the Christians, the priests at the church who take care of the place, decided, let's just make a little door so camels and horses can no longer come into the church. Only people can come in. So we stooped down to the little door. We came inside. Pretty tall building. The altar, of course, was right in the center. To the, to the right side, if you're looking at the altar, there was a little room little area where people were gathering to go down then into the crypt under the main altar where there is another altar over the place where Jesus was born. As we were going into the church, as we were there waiting in line to go down into the place where Jesus was born, the, there was an Orthodox monk or maybe an Ar Armenian monk or priest that was saying to us, uh, silencio, silencio, silence, silence, because all of not just ourselves, but others, we were talking in church. Those of you who are older, you can probably remember getting your ear pulled or your head knocked for talking in church during Mass. It's something that I think we've lost as a culture, and it's something that I would really encourage is that we have silence. So this man was saying silence, telling us, you're in a sacred place. You're in a, in a special place. As we got closer, as we were about to go down, another monk was saying, no photos, no photos, no photos. Again, to remind us of the sacredness of where we were at, the birthplace of Christ. As we went down then into the, the little area, into the little cave area, very small, smaller than this sanctuary, this front part here, the, the altar was hollow underneath, so that people, as they would come on in, they could kneel down and kiss the place where Jesus was born. 
In front of me were a number of other seminarians. The seminarian right in front of me uh, went down, knelt down, and, and kissed the place where, where Jesus was born. It was a very hot day. All of us were carrying backpacks with water bottles in. The seminarian, this particular one, just forgot to close the cap on his bottle. So when he went down and, and to kiss the place, water poured out from his backpack, from his water bottle, into the little hole, the stone that where Jesus was born. I didn't notice it because it was, he was underneath and we couldn't really see what was going on. So he got back up, went on his way. I came next. I knelt down to kiss the place, and I noticed all this water there. I'm thinking, what's this water doing here? Why would they put water in the place where Jesus was born? That's what I was thinking about at that time. I got up, went on my way. It was only like a five-second. Two ladies after me, which were much more pious than I was, they came, they knelt down, and they're making the sign of the cross. They're really focused. They're all excited. Like, they must have thought it was holy water. I, I don't know. But they were much more focused than I was. We went back to Jerusalem, finished our trip there, came back to the United States. About a month after my time in Bethlehem, I happened to be watching the NBC Nightly News. They were talking about the, the strifes that were going on in Jerusalem and different things that were taking place. And then they showed this clip of the church in Bethlehem, the church in the Nativity. And in that church were the monks, the priests that I saw. And on the other side of the church, I don't exactly know who they were, but they were yelling at each other. They were throwing stuff at each other. They were fighting. They were just all kinds of crazy stuff going on. I stopped and I thought about it. I thought, this little town of Bethlehem the bread basket, the house of bread, the place where Jesus was born, is like every other place in the world. It's broken. There's brokenness there too. Sometimes we think that Jesus was born in this little perfect town. He wasn't. He was, bro he was born in a town broken like every other town in the world. He came to fix us up. I want to jump now to the fourth word that I mentioned at the beginning of this homily, Pantocrator. If you look at this image over here to my right, to your left, it's a, it's a very ancient image. It was actually only found in the 1950s. It was written, it was drawn about the year 400, 500, sometime in there, at a little monastery near Bethlehem. Actually, uh, you know, about 50 miles, much nearer than we are, on Mount Sinai at St. Catherine's Monastery. It was hidden in a little side room so that when Islam had come and taken over the place and had raided the place, they missed this image and were unable to destroy it. They found it a number of decades ago, and scholars today, they contemplate. What was the artist intending when they drew this picture of Jesus? If you look at the image, if you drew a line down the center of the image, on Jesus' right, your left, there's a younger Jesus. Looks more, 
like this love is coming out. Maybe he's smiling a bit. On Jesus' left, your right, is an older Jesus, more stern. Some scholars say that the person who was drawing the picture wanted to show the two natures of Jesus Christ. That Jesus is old, he's ancient, he has eternally existed, and yet he's young. He's been born in time. He always will be. He's old and he's young. Others say this image is speaking about the last judgment. The whole point of Advent is to prepare for the last judgment, to meet Christ in glory. The word Advent means the coming of Christ. Right after the Our Father, you'll hear the priest pray about the coming of Christ. We long for his coming. So some scholars say this is when Jesus comes in glory. And it's the image of, of the king separating the peoples of the world like a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. It's the, the story that Jesus himself tells us. There are those on his right, the sheep, those on his left, the goats. Those on his right see a, a kind Jesus. Those on the left see a stern Jesus. In other words, one projects upon Jesus what is going on within one's heart. That when one receives Jesus' love, one immediately recognizes that Jesus is love. If one is hanging on to one's sin, and one thinks that Jesus is going to condemn me, then one projects that upon Jesus. We see something similar take place in our own lives. You know, you've done something wrong, or you've done something, and you, you look at a person and you're like, you say, you're judging me. And maybe the person is not even thinking about what you did wrong or what you did at all. But we project upon the person what we think the person is thinking. The same thing happens with God. Yesterday, I was, as I was preparing for this Christmas homily, I received a text from one of our parishioners who um, had her child and said that she and her little baby were doing fine. As I was thinking about that, the, the thought came to my mind, how much love a mother has for her child. The child doesn't even realize that mom loves him or her. And yet mom has this great love for the child. At some point, the child hopefully will begin to learn that mom cares for him or for her. Hopefully the child will believe that at some point. But regardless of whether the child realizes mom's love or not, mom loves the child. That's our God. Whether you or I realize that God loves us or not, he still loves us. But it's how receptive are we to that love? How receptive are we to that love? A week ago, I was in the office and I received a phone call. I answered and there was a, a woman. I can't remember exactly where she was at. I think she was from Ohio. She called up and she asked if I knew her son. 
And I said, um, I, I don't. And I said, well, why do you ask? And she said, I sent a package. She said, he lives in Kilder. I sent a package to him, and the package came back. And she was very concerned about him. And I said, well, well, tell me, you know, what happened? I mean, do you have his phone number? Like, have you called him? And she said, well, a year ago. She said, this and this happened. And then he said to me, Mom, don't you ever call me again. And every time that I've called, she said, he doesn't answer. And now when this package came back, she goes, I don't know where he is. Moms always love their children. But that's such a tiny glimpse of God's love for us. Sentinel. The, the word sentinels, I don't know if you caught it in our, in our first reading. I was like, what does this word even mean? I recognize there's sentinel butte here in North Dakota. I'm like, what, what, is, what does that mean? So I had to look up the word sentinel. What the word sentinel means, it means the person standing on, the, on a watch post, whether it's a hill, whether it's a tower, and they're watching things happen. Most of all, what they're watching for is when there's a war taking place and there's that runner coming to bear the news of what happened at the war. Or maybe there's some message that was given out by the king and the person stands and watches for the results of what's taking place. Most of the time it's for the good news. Folks, I want all of us to be sentinels. Meaning that we're watchful. That we're attentive to Christ's coming. That we're attentive. That we don't get sleepy. I, I realize some of you guys maybe had long nights. You're maybe a bit tired. But don't become spiritually tired. Don't be spiritually tired. When we become spiritually flabby, we start to focus so much on this life that we forget of what happened there in Bethlehem, the breadbasket of the world. The word Bethlehem is the Hebrew word for, for house of bread. When we forget what happened there, that God became one of us, that God entered into our brokenness, that God did that to show us His love, His care. When we forget that, but we're going to see that on the last day is what appears like a very stern Jesus. Because we're going to project our sin upon him, even though we're the ones with sin. So let's pray for the grace to be sentinels, to be watchful, to be attentive in our spiritual lives, to Go after Christ to follow Him. Do not put things of this world higher than Jesus. Let's pray for that grace. But lastly, I want to make this point as I close my homily. Jesus' love for us is shown most of all on the cross. His dying. The night before He died, Jesus remembered where He came from, that He was from Bethlehem the house of bread. So he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to his disciples and said, take this, all of you, and eat of it. 
for this is my body. He gives himself, he gives himself to us in what looks like bread, the very life that comes from Bethlehem. At this Mass, let's pray for the grace to receive this Panis Angelicus, the spread of the angels, fully into our hearts. And we may not say, my will be done, but say, thy will be done. Let's pray for that grace today and always.